The first reading is taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we told all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that it began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, um, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished as the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The Gospel of Christ. Christ. Remaining standing, let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place with yourself. 
Open our ears and open our hearts so that in the spoken word and in the written word, we might know your living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. During the height of the pandemic, many people took up new hobbies, myself included. I tried a bunch of stuff. Uh, I didn't try sourdough bread baking. Many of my friends did, and I reaped the benefits, but I tried the ukulele to no good effect. Uh, I also tried fishing. One summer, right in the middle of the pandemic, I flew to Winnipeg, and restrictions in Manitoba being what they were, we had to isolate for two weeks. So my parents and I went out to our family cottage, and we isolated there, two weeks at the cottage. Not the worst thing. I've grown up going to this cottage, and I have tried my hand at fishing any number of times from the dock, and never with much success. But I thought, here I am, I've got two weeks with nothing much to do, I can do this, I can figure it out. So I tried. I tried different poles, I tried all kinds of different lures, I tried different times of day, I tried different spots to cast, nothing was working. But it was when the fish started jumping around the pole, around the net, that I decided this was not the hobby for me. And I said, I can buy my fish from the grocery store. This is unlike my older sister, by the way, who is a master angler and has been for years, and this past summer managed to catch two fish with one cast using a crankbait lure, whatever that is. Simon Peter could have identified far more with me than with my sister in this morning's passage, at least at first. Fishing was Simon Peter's métier. It was his livelihood. He and his brother Andrew worked a fishing business on the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Lake of Gennesaret, with James and John, the sons of Zebedee. In Mark's gospel, we also hear that Zebedee himself was a part of this fishing business, as well as some hired men. So this was a substantial business. But they've been out all night, and they have caught nothing. It's been a bad night for business. So they're busy mending their nets and cleaning them in preparation to go out again the next night when Jesus arrives on the beach, and he begins teaching the crowds that have followed him there. Jesus has already been moving around a bit. Last week, we heard Orvin talk about how Jesus was preaching in Nazareth, his hometown. But he's also been in Capernaum and in the synagogues around Judea. He's started gathering a following of people, eager to hear his teaching. And unlike other occasions where people only seem interested in his miracles, in this occasion particularly, the crowd is pressing in on him hungry to hear the word of God. And more and more of them come. The beach is filling up. So Jesus decides to make it easier to hear him. He asks Simon Peter to take him out in the boat a little way from shore so that the sound of his voice will carry over the water and be able to reach the whole crowd. Well, Peter is probably pretty tired and discouraged. He's been out all night with no luck, And chances are, he's just looking forward to getting home and the first century equivalent of crashing on the couch with a beer, maybe grabbing a nap and forgetting about tonight, looking forward to tomorrow. 
But here he is subjected to a sermon instead, like all of you. And when Jesus finishes his sermon, rather than taking Peter back to shore, he asks him something startling. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, Simon Peter knows that this is ridiculous advice. They've been out all night, and there hasn't been a fish. Not only that, but fishing is better at night, when the fish can't see the threads of the net that they are throwing. So to go out in the day, especially when the fish haven't been there, would just seem pointless. And on top of that, this advice is coming from a carpenter, not a fisherman. Stop for a moment and think about that. I don't know of anyone who likes being told how to do the job that they've been doing for years. There's something that rises up in us that makes us want to object, right? And show people that we know, we're, we know what we're doing. We know our stuff. But it gets infinitely worse when somebody who's not at all in the same field as you comes along and tells you how to do your job. At that point, the irritation just rises, or at least the temptation to ignore them or shut them up or laugh them off. But Simon Peter doesn't do any of these things. Despite being up all night, despite probably being pretty discouraged, Simon Peter doesn't snap at Jesus. He doesn't brush him off. He listens to him. Because this isn't the first time that Simon Peter has met Jesus. Luke chapter 4 tells us that, in fact, Jesus was just out of his house just the other day and healed his mother-in-law, as well as a whole crowd of people who showed up at the door looking for healing when they heard it was happening. Jesus has seen, or Peter has seen Jesus performing miracles, and he's heard some of his teachings. He's intrigued. But just being intrigued so far hasn't led to much change for Peter. He's still at his day job, or night job as it is, still doing his normal thing. His life hasn't changed substantially since he met Jesus. But everything that he's seen so far has at least shown him that Jesus is someone to respect and listen to. And so when Jesus offers this ridiculous suggestion that they go back out on the water, Peter doesn't shut him down. Master, he calls him, a title of respect. Master, we've already tried that at night when it's supposed to work better, and we've caught nothing. But at your word, I will. I'll let down the nets. See what Peter is doing here? He's at the beginning of his journey with Jesus. He's seen a little bit. He's heard a little bit. Nothing compared to what's coming. And yet when Jesus offers him a command that doesn't make sense, that little bit that Peter has seen is enough for him to exercise a little bit of faith in return. And so he obeys, and he goes back out on the water, and he tosses out those nets that have so recently yielded nothing. And that little bit of faith yields everything. It pays off tremendously. The results are astounding. Nets overflowing and breaking, a complete windfall for the business, and an utter shock to all the fishermen present, none of whom who have ever seen anything like this before. 
For a landlubber like myself to see this, I might not think that much of it, but Peter and his partners know better. They know that nothing short of the work of God could produce such results. Have you ever had a moment where you're faced with the knowledge that you're in the presence of something you don't understand? Something too great to be human or natural. Something too extraordinary to be under, or explainable. I had this once. I was in a time when I was looking for a job and looking for an apartment. Uh, my life was pretty unsettled. And I was doing a lot of praying and I was trying to trust that God was going to take care of me um, with greater and lesser success. Just trying praying over and over, trying to rest in God. And one day, in the midst of this, something little that I mentioned to God happened to be answered the very next moment. I don't remember what it was, but it was enough to startle me and be like, oh. And then it happened again, in very short order. Something I said to God was answered in almost the next moment. And I'm like, okay, this is starting to weird me out a little bit. Uh, And then the third time that it happened, I remember vividly. This had been just after these two experiences, and I was sitting in a cafe on Bloor Street, and I was writing in my prayer journal, and I was just writing about how I missed being in France, missed hearing French around me. I had lived there a little while before. And I looked up, or I, I, I finished my coffee, I closed my prayer journal, and I stepped outside the door, And a couple people came up to me and started speaking French in Toronto. And then I looked up on the wall, and there was a poster written in French. And I'm like, oh my goodness. (laughs) I started feeling like I had come to the foot of Mount Zion, and God was there. And more than that, I started feeling like every single word I had ever said to him in my entire life had been heard, had been listened to. And that he was real. And that this God that I had believed in my entire life existed. And I was in his presence. And it was too much. I was terrified. And I actually started praying that he would back off. That he would veil himself. Because I was like, I can't handle this. This is too much. I'm only a sinful human. I'm not capable of being in the presence of God like this. Back off. I imagine that is something of what Simon Peter was feeling that day when the nets started dragging and then breaking with the weight of the fish in them. All of a sudden, this Jesus, whom he had been following and listening to, admiring perhaps, this was all of a sudden no ordinary person, no ordinary teacher. Peter had come into the presence of someone greater, and he fell to his knees, and he begged Jesus to get away, depart from his sinful self. I don't know if you know this feeling of nakedness, of exposure. When all that you are is seen, all the things that you try to hide, all the insecurities that you cover up with nice clothes or intellect or perfectionism or whatever it may be, 
all of it exposed and laid bare, the secret thoughts of your heart, the impulses, the weird little habits that you have that you cover up, the fear and the anger and the self-loathing, all of it seen to the very core. The shame can be overwhelming. And it's no surprise that Peter begs Jesus just to leave, to stop looking at him, to stop being around him. Go away. Let him cover up again. Let him go back to his safe life of fishing and pretending that he is fine on his own. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't leave. Because that secret identity that we carry, the one we know so well and try so hard to hide, that's not the identity that Jesus sees when he looks at us. Jesus saw Peter. Jesus saw the rock on which he would build his church. He saw a man whose faith would go through many trials, who would sometimes stumble, but who would ultimately go on to be the leader of the church, one who gave up his life for the sake of the gospel. Jesus sees through the covering of shame and, shame and sin to the person that God created him to be. And he calls him to it in the most gentle way possible. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Peter. I know you. I know your failings. I know your weaknesses. I see everything you see. I know more. I know you're going to betray me three times. But I also see deeper. I know the you that I created you to be, with a specific purpose and calling, an identity that goes far deeper than the identity you see. The identity of a beloved child of God, glorious in beauty, shining in splendor, reflecting the image of your creator. Trust me. Follow me. And I will do this good work in you and through you until you someday are able to see what I see. I will take your skills, skills as a fisherman, skills as a teacher, and I will turn them to serve my glory and my kingdom. And this was the turning point for Peter. This was the moment that he finally knew that Jesus was the pearl of great price, the treasure hidden in a field, the one worth losing everything for. And so he does. He leaves everything. He leaves that windfall catch of fish that would make him rich, leaves the only business that he's ever known, and leaves the identity that he believed of himself, and he turns and he follows. And he becomes Peter, the rock on which Christ builds his church. And what about you? As Jesus gazes on you with eyes of love, eyes that can see past all that sin and all that shame and all the things that you hide, are you willing to accept his truth of who you truly are? Because this is the turning point. This is the moment we are invited 
to leave behind all of that and follow him. But it's also a lifelong journey of turning. Because we forget, as Peter would do, we forget our identity in Christ. We believe again the lies that we are not loved or not lovable. We put other things into the role of God in our lives. And each time we do, as we do, we are once again offered that freedom and that choice that Jesus offers Peter. Don't be afraid. Don't run away. Leave all that behind and follow me and discover again who you truly are, a beloved child of God, glorious in beauty, shining in splendor, perfectly reflecting the image of your creator. Because in me there is life, in me there is freedom, and there is joy beyond belief. So let's come to Jesus, beloved, and find out who we truly are in him. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.